Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Chris Evans here, and welcome to yet another star-studded edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up, the one, the only, Bob Odenkirk tells us about his brand new book, Comedy, Comedy, Comedy Drama, and looks ahead to the final season of Better Call Saul. Hollywood superstar Jared Leto gets his fangs into another smash hit movie with his latest blood-sucking offering, Morbius. The always hilarious and uber-generous David Williams and the iconic Boy George go through some of the incredible lots from the auction for Ukraine, of which several they were responsible for themselves. And Kaiser Chiefs frontman Ricky Wilson brings the excitement ahead of their newly announced 13-day UK arena tour happening later this year. All of that and so much more to come. So Vassos, pray tell, who is up first? Our next guest is an Emmy award-winning actor, comedian and director. You'll know him from Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul and most of the other stuff on your telly for the past <laughs> 30 years. And now you can really know him through his brilliant memoir, comedy, comedy, comedy drama, which is out now. It's Bob Odenkirk. Good morning, Bob. Welcome <laughs> yeah, to the show. <laughs> How are you, man? There's so much energy. It's uh, too early. Yeah, we're just I, dialing I a... down, by the way. We've peaked. Really? About, about You're toning it down? Yes, it's us, oh my man. God. Yeah. Uh, I, everything's great. I'm so happy to be here, and it's been sunny all week. Uh, I brought... <laughs> I want to tell all my friends at home, come to London if you want some sun. It's beautiful here. It is beautiful. Uh, what about comedy, 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 drama? That's the title of the book. Comedy, 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 drama. And the maths of your career is sort of done for us within that title, isn't it, really? Yeah. Well, I wanted to warn people off because I'm most well known for the drama for Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and lately Nobody, the action film I did last year. Uh, but most of my career was spent writing comedy in America. And and I wanted to write about it because I love it so much. And some of the British comedy that inspired me as well as a kid. Well, you say some of it. I mean, we'll, we'll go everywhere with this interview. So just stay, stick with us, everyone. We'll get to Breaking Bad and we'll get to Better Call Saul. Uh, we might go there next. I don't know. But we're going to kick off with uh, you being punked as a kid. And you were punked by Monty Python. So tell us uh, where you were when you first saw an episode of Monty Python and what immediate effect it had on you. I was in my living room in Naperville, Illinois, a little town outside of Chicago named after a guy named Joe Naper. It's a very American thing. Guy comes to town and says, I'm going to make a town, name it after myself. <laughs> um, and I was sitting there, and here it comes on at a Sunday nights at uh, 10.30. I can't believe my mom let me stay up, but I think she was already asleep and, uh, and didn't know we were even awake. There were seven kids in my family, and um, she couldn't keep track of us. Anyway, Python comes on, and it made me so happy. It was like a message from the adult world that everything was going to be okay because everybody was lunatics. And it was it was so uh, original because um, you know sketch shows are fantastic at the best, but horrible and you know so mundane and perfunctory at their worst. But this wasn't anything like that. 
No, no. We all we had the worst comedy going on in America in the seventies. We had Bob Hope running out of steam. Uh, we had uh, John Denver being very sweet and gentle. His music is great. Nothing against his music. And uh, it, it, we just didn't have uh, this cutting stuff that you guys had. Like, uh, smart, absurdist, uh, you know, it had an edge to it. And uh, Eric Idle says in his book it was comedy with anger in it. And I, that, that I really related to. You're 11 and you're watching Monty Python. Yeah. Okay. And you're watching SNL a few years later. Yeah. And now you are friends with Eric Idle and you've worked on SNL. Can you imagine? Or could, you, could you have imagined? You're, you and your wife are friends with Eric and his wife yeah. and you go out for dinner. Yeah we, yeah, we have more than once. I mean, and come on, that's exciting. Yeah, it's mean, crazy. Hey, I can't well do done. the math on it. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> well done. That, that's sort of it, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to uh, believe that I've gotten to this place and had those experiences. In fact, the night before I went to shoot Nobody, I was out to dinner. My wife and I were out to dinner with Eric and his wife and Matt Walsh, who's from the UCB. You may not know this group, but he's in Veep. Yeah. And we were a group going, we went out, and, and I told these people, my wife was the only one who knew, I'm going tomorrow to go make an action movie. And everyone was mystified, absolutely mystified that I, they just couldn't understand what I was, that I could be telling the truth. Uh, and we went and made that film, and uh, it turned out all right. More than all right, by yeah. the way. More than all right. Yeah. It's available now on Amazon Prime. It's eight ninety nine. I know this because I watched it the weekend. Uh, to buy, I, I don't, although I don't know how you buy it because you don't get it. It's just like renting it. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, so um, <laughs> read the book, everyone. Comedy, 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 drama. Um, now we will fast forward to. Yeah. Is it fair to say, right, um, that your most renowned achievements uh, began to happen in what is obviously was obviously the second half of your life, and in Absolutely. that in that way, you were a late developer. Absolutely. I mean, I I loved doing the comedy that I did, and I helped start Tim and Eric and Tenacious D and a lot of things that people know. Those That was the world I loved being in, fringe comedy. But then this opportunity came, phone call, will you be on the show Breaking Bad? And, uh, well, I was just going to say yes, just for the fun of it, really, you know, just for the excitement of trying something. And uh, showed up, and here's this character, Saul Goodman, great fun to play. And here's these great actors around me anchoring the whole thing. And I don't I don't have to worry about that stuff. I can just be fun and, and kind of go cut loose. Right. So so Sol, uh, he's a breakout character. Yeah. Um, he may have been there for three or four episodes. He ends up staying for a long, long time. And then uh, one of the engineers or somebody on the crew says... Cameraman. Uh, is it, what's the story? Yeah, it was like the fourth take. It was the big scene with me and Brian and our uh, in our first, the first episode I did. We were on our third or fourth take. I did my long run uh, riff that Saul does explaining that it's all a front. He's, you know, phony. And, uh, and one of the cameramen, after they say cut, says, can I get a job on the spinoff? And everyone laughed because everyone immediately understood, like, this character is bigger than anybody we've seen that came in and was brought into the series. And everyone laughed. And then it became a conversation piece uh, with the writers. Uh, what could a show be? What could you do with this character? And they talked about um, maybe a half-hour sitcom. They talked about a one-hour procedural show. That's where every week Saul would have a different client, 
and he would um, manage their case without going to court. He's a lawyer who's never, ever been to court and never will go. And he just manipulates people, the judge, the the other attorneys, to solve the case or to solve their problem. And then they settled on a drama, Better Call Saul, which is... Similar, but not exactly the same as, as Breaking Bad. And we're hurtling towards the final season of that, season six. Yeah, we finished shooting one month ago, and we have 13 episodes coming on April 18th wow. that week. And I can't wait for you to see them. The finale season is the best All episodes ever. available straight off the bat? Uh, no. That will, it will play once, one per week. But we're almost out of time. Um, what else would you like to say? That I'd like be to say, I hope you'll give my book a chance. And when you do, there's going to be a lot of comedy reference that you you didn't see here in, in England. It didn't play. But you can go on YouTube, and I mentioned the sketches by name. You can watch almost all of those sketches. So if you do read the book and you feel like you're left out, go ahead and watch them. Some great stuff that I got to be a part of. And I uh, can't wait for you to see the final season of Better Call Saul. It's the best season we've done. Okay. And by the way, you've got to check out um, uh, Bob's new film, Nobody, because it's not what you might expect, but it certainly absolutely uh, pays off. Just before you go, one more question. Yeah. Do you have change for a dollar? Uh, let me go in the back and check. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Thank you, Bob. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. From winning an Oscar to winning over music fans in their millions, our next guest has done it all. His dark, thrilling and thirsty new movie, Morbius, is in cinemas from next Thursday. So please welcome a man that could only be made ugly by thousands of dollars of CGI and prosthetic makeup. <laughs> it's the blood-suckingly brilliant Jared Leto! Good morning, Jared! Thank you. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. And I just have the little correction there. It's not thousands of dollars of CGI. It's millions. <laughs> so how ugly did they achieve in the end? Well, I don't know. I have to say monstrous Morbius is quite a beautiful creature to me. Right. So I'm a little I'm a little biased, but, you know. It's a monster. He's got to be a little... He's got to have some rough edges. All right, so it's a brand new Marvel film. Um, how is it to inhabit the world of Marvel? It's a beautiful thing. You know, I, I'd never been in a film like this. I'd never starred in a big uh, Marvel movie, uh, obviously. But what I loved about it is it's the very first time this character has ever been on the screen. So it was it was quite a uh, honor to be asked to bring it to life. So because well, nobody's nobody's given us Morbius before, it, it, does that mean there's less chance of you getting it wrong because there's no comparison? Well, I mean, I, I don't look at it that way. You, you can always get it wrong. And I think right. it's your job to dig deep, to work as hard as you can to bring something that's you know, entertaining and, and exciting for audiences. Um, and I did exactly that. There's a massive transform transformation in this role. And um, I really dug in and, and loved every single second of it. All right. So he's a spinoff, isn't he? So the film is a new Spider-Man uh, comic book spinoff uh, with yourself playing the vampire, Dr. Michael Morbius. Now you have a pal uh, slash nemesis in the form of M Matt Smith, our very own great Brit Matt Smith. What does he get up to? That's right. He's a, he's a good man and a great actor and was a perfect partner in crime for this. So so tell us about him, uh, his character and, and your relationship, Morbius's relationship to him. Uh, well, we're, we're, we're basically like brothers. We, we both kind of uh, have the same rare disease and we grew up kind of commiserating and, and got to know each other in a, in a, in a deep way that uh, young people that are faced with that kind of intense challenge, challenge might um, and then we kind of take divergent uh, 
uh, career paths, so to speak. Yeah, and how was how was Matt? I mean, I know Matt quite well, uh, maybe not as right. well as you, uh, but uh, I mean, he is a cool dude, isn't he? He's great to be with. He's great to hang out with. He ta- he he wears his talent very lightly on his sleeve, if you know what I mean. You know, and 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 probably because he's so gifted, he he he's just a joy to work with. I think we both felt like we had an opportunity here to kind of get in the ring with one another and see what we were made of and. It was, um, I, I, he was just perfectly cast. I enjoyed it a lot. Pretty cool, pretty cool. It says, um, I've read uh, that you were surprised, if this is right or not, it might be, you might have been misquoted, you were surprised by the, the how challenging the, the role was in the end. No, I, 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 that's not that's not true. I, right. I definitely was not surprised. I knew I'd never done anything like this before. And, you know, I managed, uh, I managed to find a way to always, you know, make things creatively pretty challenging, uh, and I enjoy that. I, I'm a big believer that you, you, you know the, the the harder you work, the 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 greater the reward, and it's it's your job to take really you know big risks. And uh, and we did that here. And I th- the thing that's different about it as well is you have this big Marvel movie, but it also walks on the darker side of the the Marvel universe. It has elements of horror. It's a bit scary at times. And I think just a fun film for people that haven't been in theaters to get back into theaters and go have a blast with and enjoy. Yeah, no, I thought I thought that was wrong. I'm so glad I, we, we touched upon that because you knew it was going to be a challenge, but you welcomed the challenge. And it's important, isn't it? It's important to push yourself. Um, you know, that, that's where growth lies. What did you learn about yourself as an actor by, by going to the sort of extreme boundaries of where you'd been before and further? Well, it's different starring in a movie too. You know, I, I, I've, I've made a you know, large part of my career has been playing smaller roles in films. Uh, I've always focused heavy on character. I've always dived in pretty deep. Um, but this one, you know, there's a different kind of pressure, a different set of expectations when you star in a movie. And when you're introducing a character for the first time in an, or- in an origin story, it's, uh, there's, there's, it's just a different experience. You, you learn different things and I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, the, the great thing about Marvel movies now and, you know, all the superhero movies now is they're so much better than they ever were. The gloves are off. There are no rules. I love it. I, you know, just take the new Spider-Man movie and all the parallel universes and things that go on there. I won't spoil it for anybody who's not seen it yet. Somebody did for me who works on the program, but that's another story. Uh, but of course, you get the humour. Um, you know, you get the sort of the, the almost Shakespearean um, exchanges sometimes between Marvel heroes, but also you do get a, a decent message. What's the message behind this one do you think um i mean it's a great question uh i I, you know we we meet dr michael morbius when he's very sick he's searching for a cure uh for a very very rare disease that he has and milo has uh so he's this guy who really um is selfless and dedicated his life uh, towards this goal and when he finds a cure ultimately gets powerful and strong but then doesn't get everything that he expected So, um, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but, uh, you know, there are there are some surprises. It's in cinemas here in the UK from March 31st, um, which is next Thursday. Has it played anywhere else yet in the world or is it a global release? No, we just did a premiere in uh, Berlin, Madrid, Paris and London last night. Right. And you get the vibe, don't you? You get a good vibe. What's your vibe on it? What's your vibe? Because you, you've, you've had other things like this in the past. Yeah, yeah. The vibe is that it's a big, fun action adventure movie and it has elements of horror. So that makes it a little bit different. 
Um, but it's a lot of fun. You know, it's a big popcorn movie. And I think it's the right movie for the right time. People that haven't been in theaters that want to get back into theaters. Yeah. It's you want to see at the big screen and it's exclusively in theaters, which I, I think is great. I'm a big fan of cinema and <laughs> happy to support it. Jared, listen, thanks for your time, man. Good luck with the movie. Um, nice for you to make uh, to carve out some time to appear on our program. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolute pleasure. pleasure. And maybe we'll come back sometime and, and be able to see you with 30 Seconds to Mars. L- little band my brother and I have. Hey, man, anytime you like. Okay, that is, a, that is an open invite. Anytime you like. Come and play live on the show. Thank you, brother. Take care. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. If you like your cucumber sandwiches with a dash of sauce and a side of chuckles, then we have just the lot for you. That's right. In our auction for Ukraine, afternoon tea is on the table. To be more specific, his table in his house. So please welcome (laughs) a man famous for his generous spread. It's David Walliams. Hello, David. (laughs) Good morning. What a wonderful welcome. I know. You're great. You you deserve that times 10. Uh, So lot number 10 afternoon tea for two at my house. So is that two well, other people? Or no, just, it what? can be two, a whole family of people. I mean, I'm assuming people with kids who might read my children's oh, book, wow. Water Calm. And I will lay on a lovely spread for you. Um, we'll have tea and cakes and, and milkshakes for the kids. And uh, I've got a big, a big cupboard full of my books, unsold copies, that um, <laughs> otherwise would be in a bargain bin that I can sign for you and we can do lots of pictures and we can chat and we'll have a fun afternoon. You can meet my doggies. Um, So it's a really nice thing to do. So, uh, you know, really fun to meet new people all the time. And if anybody out there has got kids who are sort of into my children's books, then come along. I live in London. So um, if you live in outer Mongolia, probably a bit tough, but if you live, um, in the UK, you can probably get get to London and, and have a fun day out and come and see me for tea. Well, this is wonderful. Uh, it's so personal. And the more personal these things are, um, the better they do, because uh, you can sort of smell the sincerity behind them. And uh, whilst we've been on, on the air, just via this, during this conversation, it's gone up by £2,000. So we're at 14 grand. Uh, Peter, wow. Yates, Peter Yates, who's been with you from the beginning, Peter Yates' first bid was on uh, Wednesday morning for two and a half grand. He's since bid one, two, three, Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times, and he's been outbid every time, and he's just been outbid mm. again. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, but I have I have a restraining order against PTA. Oh, do you? So I'm a bit concerned about that. All right. Well, we can <laughs> maybe a different PTA. I don't know. Yeah, but no, we can scrub him off. Fine. Okay. No, thank you, Peter, for your generosity. That's absolutely fantastic. And. Um, do let me know what you like in your sandwiches. All right, so are you going to make these or are you going to have somebody make them or what's going to happen? I think somebody will make them, to be honest with you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but I will, I will be buying the cakes. I won't be making them, but I'll be buying them. So we've got a lovely little little cake shop near me, which does the most wonderful cupcakes. So we'll have a whole spread of cupcakes wow. of every flavour. And if you like scones and cream and jam, we can do that as well. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's afternoon tea, I think, is the best meal of the day. Yeah. Because it's the most dec- – it's one you don't need to have. Yeah, and it, <laughs> and it definitely has the most calories per bite. Yeah. Without it's question. Really, really decadent and fun, isn't it? And yeah. so, so there's something lovely about afternoon tea. And it, kids, I think, love it as well. 
because it's a, it's it's one where you get to have all the sweet treats, isn't it? So yeah. I'm sure we can have fun. You know, and regulars on telly will know, um, Anton Deck know this, you know this, um, there are certain things you can have sort of uh, mid-series, uh, sorry, sorry, sort of in-between series that you have to knock on the head about three or four weeks beforehand. So I'm guessing sort of afternoon tea gets a little less frequent when you're three or four weeks away from like a, a Britain's Got Talent run well, or something this, like that. L- luckily, no one cares what I look like. You do, I'm though. Much, I'm much like you, Chris. Like, we're not prized for our good looks. We never have been. See, in my, um, in my mind, we are. In a way, it's a miracle we're on television at all. Well, I'm not anymore. I'm not. And the point is, David, I'm really not. You know I'm not. Um, but there's a, there's a lot to go on this morning. So you can bid to be on this morning. And I'm bidding for it because it's the only way I can get back on telly, to be honest. Oh, I still I still think it could backfire terribly, Chris. <laughs> no, but you, I, I would get to be in a fashion item and read some autocue. Well, uh, can you still do that at your age? <laughs> I'm not sure you'd be able to do that with you. I think that'd be fine. I'd love to see you on that. Actually, oh, if, hey, here's the thing: if you bid for the fashion item, I promise to come on and model the clothes. Okay, well that's it then. We're done. It's currently three thousand four hundred. Um, it's interesting though, isn't it? So tea at your house, fourteen grand. Yeah, um, mm. a whole morning at this morning with Holland, Holly and Phil. So far, 3,400. I mean, you know, the auction's online until midnight tonight. Um, For obvious reasons, David, on a Friday, the bids tend to go a bit crazy, about half seven onwards. Can't imagine why that would be. Well, I guess people people have had a few glasses of wine and they go a bit crazy, (laughs) don't they? Hopefully many bottles. How much did you bid? How much did you bid? (laughs) Someone gets in terrible trouble. Tonight, we enthuse you to drink for Ukraine. Mm. That's yeah, what that's definitely, what definitely. You know, it couldn't be it couldn't be a better cause and I think everybody, you know, is watching the news is thinking, What can I do? And there's a horrible feeling of helplessness. So what you're doing is brilliant, Chris, and it's amazing you've got so many fantastic people to donate all these things and well, uh you know, it's it's just it's just a pleasure because I think all of us are thinking, what, what can we do? What can we do? You know, to make things right. And so, so this is this is a wonderful step in the right direction. Well, you can't do it without you guys. Can't do it without the people bidding. And I'm just very, very happy, elated, and grateful to get to be stuck in the middle amongst all this stuff. David, I love you. Can't wait to see you again. Thank you so much. I love you too. Um, I hope it all goes well tonight, and I hope. Um, Hope I get to model those dresses on yeah. this morning. Do us a favour. Have a look at it tonight because it's great viewing. Because it does okay. it does go mad at about between 8 and 9 o'clock. It just goes crazy. All right, so have a look. <laughs> Wine plenty yeah. and get bidding, guys. Exactly. Thank you very much. There it is. Lot number 10. David Williams. Tea at his house. Currently at £14,000. Peter, you're going to have to bid again. It's against you all with anonymous at uh, anonymous hashtag 2994. £14,000 against you all. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. If you fancy owning a hat, a photo or an actual song by an era-defining musical and cultural icon, then look no further. He's donated exactly those to the auction for Ukraine and you can bid on them right now. So, ladies and gentlemen, would you believe it? By Jove, it's boy George! (laughs) Morning, George! Hello, Chris. It sounds so exciting, your auction. Oh, my God, I'm like, Jamie Dornan, dinner at your house. So glamorous. Yeah, room for a small one. Um, right, so tell us about your hat, which is gorgeous, and you've you've sort of accessorised it, and, and then tell us about this amazing offer of us, the rights, the, all the rights to one of your songs. Well, you know, you asked for something that was affordable, so as a photo, and then you asked for something, you know, like, I don't know, personal, which is my hat. And then the third request was for something that I've never auctioned before, and I've never auctioned a song. I mean, I don't think anyone has. 
Um, you know, and I thought, well, what's something I would never just give away? And, you know, I think the song is a good one because, um, you know, music's so personal, but also, you know, I wrote the song about what's going on, you know, and, you know, it'd be amazing to, to you know, use music to do something positive. So you've been to Ukraine and this song is about your experience and your love of, of Ukraine. I went there uh, about eight years ago. I DJed there and I had the most amazing night. And I remember thinking, this is such a beautiful place. I must come back. And I suppose the spirit of the song is saying, you know, Ukraine is a beautiful country and hopefully it will be a beautiful country again. You know, and I watched this young kid the other day on uh, Instagram saying, don't be sad about all of it. It's difficult not to be, do you know what I mean? Because... Yeah you know, we're just looking at it and we're horrified and feeling helpless. And, you know, to me, it's just music's a thing that's always saved me in all my difficult situations. So I think it's a good thing to do and it's quite nice to let go of it, you know? Yeah, completely, 100%. And it is horrible and it is full of horror and terror, the situation over there and suffering. But what you have to do is you then have to take that as fuel and you have to turn it into something good. That, that's, and that's, uh, that's our responsibility and that, that's the least we can do and the most we can do. The interesting thing, because obviously the song was originally called That Night in Kiev and then I got people saying, no, it's not that. So I had to rewrite some of the lyrics <laughs> to make it about Kiev, which... And also, I think that's significant as well because it's the new way of saying Kiev. That's what people in Kiev want you to say, Kiev. Yeah, I know, I get it, I get it. So how, do you, how, how come you ended up there? What, you know, when, when was it again and how long did you spend there and who did you it meet? Was about, it was about eight years ago. And what was really funny, because I went with my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, and everybody kept thinking we were a couple. So I actually mentioned that in the song. <laughs> people kept saying, how long have you two been together? And I was like, oh my God, this is my sister's husband. I just remember thinking it was such a beautiful place, you know. It was like summer. I got picked up by this incredible kid who was like a punk rocker in this big American car, like one of the Adams family. So the whole trip from beginning to end was just magical. And I remember thinking I must go back, you know, and uh, I would love to do that. We'd love to go back and sing this song in Kiev. Well, when this is over, and it will be over, um, because, you know, all things must pass, you know, you, you can imagine what's going to happen in, in Kiev. You can imagine, you know, people going there, people like yourself turning up, and not so much to celebrate, but to sort of stand firm, you know, and to to reestablish a new beginning for Kiev, which has to happen. Of course it does. Uh, I've got a picture of you here on Zoom now. Uh, you look fantastic. I mean, it's quarter past eight in the morning. You're good to go, George. I'm always, I always look like this. <laughs> You got one of your hats on. Your hats are so cool. Um, where'd you get them from? I get these particular ones from a shop called The Child of the Jager, which is owned by Vivian Westwood's son, Joe. Right. And that's the only place I can get hats big enough for my head. And where, where'd you keep all your hats? Everywhere. Literally, open covers, they fall out. <laughs> you go under the bed, there's more. It's funny. They're everywhere. Because last week there was that big question uh, during the rounds, you know, um, wheels or doors? What, what do we have most of on earth? Wheels or doors? And it kept people going for it. It was, a, it was a, quite a fun, co- it's quite a wordly kind of fun conversation to have. But I'm presuming, you know, when it comes to items of clothing, it's, it's if, if it was like hats or anything else or everything else, hats in your house may still win. I think hats would win because, you know, I'm always finding things in strange places. Squashed hats, hats that have been forgotten about, hats that are stuck together, Love you it. know, all sorts of things. Love it. Uh, I just had David Williams on. Who, uh, David's given us lunch at his house, uh, well, tea, tea at his house, you know, and he's going to host it at his actual house, which is so cool, doing really well. And I enthused David and encouraged him to, to stay tuned, you know, have his laptop open today or his smart device and just check out the auction because it gets really exciting. Tonight, George, between sort of seven and midnight, 
great. It goes crazy. It goes off. I mean, we're really happy with the total we've got already. It's incredible. It's actually just short of half a million quid now, which is fantastic. But do us a favour tonight, wherever you are, just check it out because it goes absolutely crazy. I'll be, I'll be tuning in and wishing you much success. I mean, I think it's going to be ridiculously successful, you know, and... It's exciting to be part of it. All right, you're awesome. That is Boy George there, live on his sofa, looking like he's good to go to any event in the world. He is so... Look at that. I mean, talk about, you know, uh, brushed and, and ready to go and judged up. Boy George supporting our auction for Ukraine. Lot number 20 and lot number 21. Bid now. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. He's got more indie anthems to his name than you've had hot dinners and he's serving them up in an arena near you. Tickets are on sale for the Kaiser Chiefs brand new UK tour at 9am this morning. So please welcome the man that's taking Ruby, Ruby, Ruby on the roadie, roadie, roadie. It's Ricky Wilson. <laughs> he's, good, he's good, isn't he's he? He's getting better. Oh, I know. He's actually getting I better, know. not only from COVID, but also <laughs> yeah. at his job. Hey, did you have COVID? I saw, I saw I did. on Instagram. It's I did. Nice. Oh, yeah. isn't it? Horrible. Yeah. When Horrible. did you get yours? About three weeks, three weeks ago. Isn't it interesting because um, Nick, who's our boss, Aussie mm. Nick and Magic Mike, they've both got COVID. They've nev- they haven't had it at all. Mm. Uh, Dave, had you had it at all? Nope, okay. nothing. My pal Ali had never had it at all. She contracted it two weeks ago. Mm. Um, Aussie Jane had never had it at all. It seems like if you if you haven't had it, now is when you're getting it. So that sort of speaks to me um, in as much as I think the, the vaccines plus antibodies from having had it is protecting you. Maybe it's... The, by the way, last time I looked, I'm not a scientist. No, I was going to say, this is it's speaking to the nation, Chris. Yeah, it's never, never stopped me before, <laughs> and it's not going to stop me now. But maybe that's the, maybe that is that a thing, Vass? It sort of feels like it could be. Yeah, this is how it goes, isn't it? Yeah. Experts, yeah. we're all experts now. Oh, right, We've apparently. watched enough TV about it. We, 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 know, we, we know what we're Right, Ricky, how how and when do Kaiser Chiefs decide to go back on tour? Because if I was in Kaiser Chiefs, mm. I would just be on tour all the time. I'd be like the well, Rolling Stones. Point. Good point. Well, it's been twenty years. Uh, we, Not since the last tour, mate. No, 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 no. Feels like it, but uh, we do it. Literally, we'll do it when we're allowed. Um, until they stop us, we will we'll keep going. Uh, but you can't do it every day. Can you? No, I know what you mean, but it's I just not say, like radio. No, I know, but so the last tour was 2019, and this is going to be in November, 13 yep. uh, day arena tour. You know, a plus maybe more dates could always be added, I suppose. I reckon they probably will. Speaking out of turn here, but th- nevertheless, uh, gigsandtours.com is where you need to go. Gigsandtours.com and or Ticketmaster.co.uk. Gigsandtours.com and or Ticketmaster.co.uk. And like Stereophonics, you know, you will never have a better night out as far as live music is concerned um, than with these. With not you just us as well. We've got the Fratellis. Oh, what? what? Yeah. I didn't know that. Us and the Fratellis supporting and the Sherlocks. See, now they're just joyous, aren't they? And the whole thing, though, isn't yeah. it? Like their melodies, that those those cascading melodies. It's, they're oh. just full of joy, aren't they? Whistle for the Choir. That's one of my oh, favourites. Oh, my goodness. I like their last song. Their, their last song we should play. Enough about them and James Bay. More about me. You brought them up. I know I did. But you... I, no, I'm excited to see them. We were going to cover that, but now we can't because they're on before us. No, but so, so so we're waiting till November. Are you going to play Carfest for us again? Thank you. Of thank course. You, thank you, no, no, yeah. 27th wouldn't, of August. Wouldn't miss it. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Uh, really from the bottom can of I have my a, heart. Can I have a tent again? You can have what you want, mate. Thank you. I'd yeah. like a tent. But you, you have a stage. I know, yeah, but no, no, I mean, like to stay in. No, but you could stay on the stage because it's, it's like a big tent anyway, isn't it? Do you know what? what you should have that as a, as so a an prize. An auction prize. Stay on the stage at Carfest. Yeah. <gasps> Let's do it. Yeah. Lot, lot 122. Stay on the stage. At, not during the... No, 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 but like when it's all shut down, you're looking stay on like the stage. A, a, an empty field. Stay on the stage. Stay on the stage. Yeah. Oh, and, it's a good prize. And that, that could be for you plus 
99 of your friends. <laughs> it's like a really how would you stage. How would you get the tent pegs in? They're already in. I mean, it's done, isn't it? The no, stage. I mean, in the stage. Like, you, you can't put a tent up. No, I think the canvas, I think the tent is the cover it, the, the, the mega canvas. Oh, you just sleep out? I would say so. Okay. I, I think that's all right. All right. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah it'll be sunny. Um, I still want to get to the bottom of, if I was in Kaiser Chiefs, I would go out and tour. I wouldn't be able to help myself. Okay. I'd just go and play anywhere that would have me. Well, you know, we, we went in 2019, <laughs> then something happened for a couple of years, yeah. and then we're back, so yeah. it's. And where do you, do you pick, like, you know, when you compose uh, an album, because you, you compose songs and the songs yeah, are recorded, yeah, and yeah. you think, okay, now these have made the album, you have your own little sort of Britain's Got Talent panel moment, I would imagine, yeah. with, with the gang, is that how mm-hmm. that works? Yeah. With, with the other members of the band? Yeah, we're quite um, childish when it comes to that. We we always aim everything we do at the Carfest stage. That's where the Honestly. ultimate, well, the, kind of that, that audience is right. great. And then what we do is write a song and then we all leave the room and then we walk back into the room as if we're walking on a stage. Yeah. I love that. And then we say, right, this time play it. And Whitey, you have to stand up for the whole song. That's so Which cool. he doesn't like standing up. Right. He'll stand up when there's 10,000 people looking yeah. at him. But if there's not, he'll, he's sitting. Uh, so he has to stand up and we play it as if we're playing in front of a massive And crowd. then what happens? And then we go, yeah, that, that one works. And do you, do you take a vote or do you, is it a discussion or uh, is there a golden buzzer? No, no, it's just we know. When you know, you know. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Also, I always know when uh, Whitey and Simon start doing backing vocals, yeah. I know it's good because right. they're very lazy. Obviously, they don't make that, they don't, hopefully don't make it to the final recording. No, of course the, not. The BBC. Yeah, good, 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 good. You have to leave space for the crowd to think that they've thought of something. Yeah. Because that was good. Uh, yeah. But once you, so once you come up with the, the tracks for, for an album, mm. then you have to do you have to sort of compose the album, i.e. which track goes where. Opening track has to be a banger, I would imagine. Of course. I've got that. Closing track has to be a banger as well. I've got the closer. Right, no, so, no, closer, I like a lullaby at the end. Really? Yeah, I like uh, something that you don't, you know, sometimes, because I, I go to sleep at night watching Law and Order SVU. Right. Uh, and the, the, the end... <laughs> Not because it's rubbish and boring. No, no, it's, it's, it's actually weird because it's very exciting, but it lulls me to sleep. Soporific. It's Sopor- so- it's soporific. Yeah. Yeah. But the end titles are too loud for me because they wake me up. Interesting. And I like to be, I like that. And I goes, it's ended. Yeah. Uh, it's but, like the symbols in, in Hull's Planets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. That's, yeah. why, that's why they do that in classical music, isn't it? To wake people up. Yeah. <laughs> no, I heard, I heard oh, that. Yeah. Oh, I hope the guys at Classic FM aren't No, but it? I heard that. It's really, that's what, how they did that. It really your just, Mozart's and your, your to tell you you can well, now because they're so long and they go now go grab an ice cream. That's why they have those big moments in those songs to, just in case. Yeah, well we, we should do that. But you no, do, we usually, you don't need it, mate. We usually end an album on a on a kind of like a, <laughs> a, a like a little moment to think. Mm. So Brian Adams said similar last week, a couple of weeks ago when Did he it? came in. Yeah, he said, he said all the best of it. He said it's um it's more a, a bow to tie things up with, right? That kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, you fold your arms, do you disagree? No, I'm, I'm, I'm folding my arms. Are you cold? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. It's just the way we've always done it. All right, so tickets for Kai's Chiefs um, uh, court, uh, tour uh, for November go on sale at nine o'clock. Gigsandtours.com is where you need to go. Gigsandtours.com and ticketmaster.co.uk. 13 dates announced now. Uh, more will be added. Surely that will happen. Yeah. Uh, now we've got a countdown uh, to tickets going on sale. It's not nine it's o'clock. Two, two minutes. It's one minute, 50 seconds. Yeah, but there's a lag in. DAB world oh, right, okay. so even if we do it now it's probably going to be post 9 o'clock so okay. should we just do it now well, could, I can't have for people to get their internet sorted yeah something like that <laughs> I think it's our fault it's yeah. our end not yeah, their yeah, end yeah. yeah come on now two one right you can get your tickets in a minute and a half guys two to go <laughs> yeah. guys 
Kaiser Chiefs on tour in an arena at an arena near you too, if you live in Hull. Uh, yeah, I, I'm so glad I don't have to get tickets because it'd be stressful. <laughs> but I don't. Uh, they let me in. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. So, we've heard from a bunch of stunning guests already, but still to come. Actor, comedian and awesome author Charlie Higson shares all about his new thriller, the first adult thriller from the Higson keyboard for 25 years. Whatever gets you through the night is its title. Our Formula One and only David Crofty Croft gets us all revved up ahead of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix on Sky Sports F1. Ex-professional cricketer Patrick Foster shares his incredible life story in his new book, Might Bite, The Secret Life of a Gambling Addict. And the hilarious and heartfelt Rachel Paris tells us about her brilliant new book, Advice from Strangers. So let's get right back to it, Vassos. Who's next? From Swiss Tony selling cars to kids navigating a zombie apocalypse, our next guest will have you hooked no matter what. His new novel, Whatever Gets You Through the Night, is out now. So whether you're after a fast show or a slow read, he's got you covered. It's the masterful Charlie Hickson. Thank you very much indeed. Sorry, Trigger Happy there, a bit too excited about yesterday's guest. Um, not that I'm not so excited about you, Charlie. Well, no, it's a slow read and you prefer yesterday's guest. No, I'm off home. You know that's <laughs> not true. So, Charlie, you are fresh from the desert. Tell us why. Yeah, I'm, I've written and am showrunning a huge 10-hour fantasy series that is filming in the deserts of the Middle East. Right, now you can't tell us too much, but you've told us probably more than you've done it to already. <laughs> and you're getting messages as we speak from the production team. Yes, they're, they're about to start shooting and I need to sign off on some costumes <laughs> for some new characters. I say, I can't do this now. I'm about to go in to talk to the mighty Chris Evans. Um, I can only apologise. Um, sorry, everyone. Uh, please pass on my apologies. <laughs> but so, no, it, it is brilliant. You know, it's like a childhood dream. You know, the reason I got into... One of the, you know, to TV was to make big, exciting shows. Yeah. Uh, and to make a huge, big fantasy series, you know, it is... Um, so you've written it as well? Yeah, it's based on some, some uh, books that are bestsellers out there. Right. And they wanted to, they want it to have, if possible, sort of international appeal. OK, now this is off the back of shows like Squid Game, uh, where people have realised, oh, it doesn't have to be in English to be a massive hit. Exactly. And, and I think part of the success of Squid Game was the fact that it, it had so much of their Korean character in it and people responded to that. It was different. It felt different. The only unconvincing bits were when they had the... Uh, uh, the uh, American actors in it playing the rich men. They were terrible. See, I've not seen Squid Games. Is it Squid Game or Squid Games? Squid Game. Squid Game. I think. <laughs> Squid Game. You've yeah. seen it, haven't you? That's no, nice. my son has. He's told me all about it. So it's the number one show on Netflix, mm. isn't it? Number two is Bridgerton. Bridgerton. Which is, uh, which is fantastic, fish. isn't it? <laughs> Different kind of fish. Completely. So, Charlie, um, you know, as far as all the jobs are concerned that you've, you've done, uh, you've done your writing, you know, directing this massive mega series, uh, 10 hours. You've been in front of the camera as well as behind the camera. Um what do you like best, or do you not have to make that decision? I love writing. And if anyone asked me what I do, I'd say I'm a, I'm a writer. Um, Is that because it's cool? No, it's just because I, I love that process of just sitting by myself and making stuff up. And to be paid to make stuff up is, <laughs> is a pretty good job. But it is also cool. To be a writer is a cool thing. Is it? Yeah, no, I think it is. So I'm just, this is just my opinion. It doesn't matter. I mean, you know... It wasn't I, actually a real question, to be honest. Right. 
But uh, if I'd been a real professional, I would have said, yeah, I love writing, and my new book, uh, Whatever Gets You Through the Night... I love the fact you adopted a DJ voice for that. Uh, yeah, no, it's great to be here, uh, great mate, here on Fab FM. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Higson, whatever gets you through the night. Now, a major event says Mark Billingham in part of the blurb on the front cover, and this is because it's your first grown-up novel for 25 years. Not you writing as a grown-up, but about, you know, <laughs> aimed at the adult market. Um, why, why not, of course, but why so long? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I wrote four adult crime books in the early 90s. Uh, and then TV took over. I was too busy on on, on the fast show and, and stuff of that nature. So, um, and my editor kept saying, "Have you got got another one?" And I'd say, oh, "Sorry, I'm a bit busy." And he'd ring like once every six months, and then once a year, and then once every five five years, and then he stopped. And <clears throat> when I went back to writing novels, uh, when I took a bit of a break from TV, was to do kids' books because I had kids and I wanted to write something for them. And I was offered to do Young James Bond by the Ian Fleming estate, which was like a fantasy job, really. Yeah, yeah. To sit down and write the names Bond, James Bond. I know, I know. It's so cool, isn't it? Now, kids' books aren't easier, but they are less time-consuming, I would imagine. Well, um... It, well, it depends. If you're writing for younger kids, obviously they tend to be shorter. Right. And, you know, you don't want huge, great slabs of dense text. But, you know, the the Bond books, and particularly the enemy books, which were more for sort of younger teenagers, um, they, you know, they're 400 pages long. That's... Um, that's a proper book, and yeah, writing for kids, you've got to you've got to grab them and keep them entertained, and and you know, they're not like adults who start a book and think, oh, I, I'm not really enjoying it, but I better read it. So this book, twenty five years on from the last one, mm. right? You're a different writer, you're a different human being. So you're back to discipline you'd done before, but almost as someone else. So so how is this different to them? What have you deployed that you've learned in between uh, then and now, or is that not something you consciously? Bear in mind. Well, no, I mean, best not to overthink it. I mean, I, I, it was definitely a release on many levels to go back to writing for adults because you could write about some things that you couldn't write in kids' books um, and explore some of the... Uh, a lot more adult themes. I mean, there are, there are broad adult themes in kids' books, but in terms of the way people speak and, and what they do, you can be a little bit more explicit. And I was slightly worried going back after 25 years because the cultural climate has changed... And I like to write crime books that are about criminals rather than police uh, and detectives. So I like to get inside a twisted psychopathic mind. Or maybe several. And several, yes, and try and understand why they do what they do. And, you know, there's a danger. And, and this, you know, it comes into a bit like also about writing satire, that when you show a racist, say, for instance, you want them to speak and think like a racist does and there's a danger that things get pulled out of context and they say well Charlie Higson's written a racist book and you think well I, well, I haven't I've written about a racist yeah, book yeah. and it, you know the, the 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 debate has changed a bit on that and I was worried that that um and in fact you know some you know I foolishly looked at some reviews at user reviews on Amazon right. which you should never do and you know a couple of them are saying well you know this uh, I don't like the way this book uh, the way Charlie Higson writes about women, um, it's objectifying them and not in a nice way. And that's not—that's a character in the book, and the character is an unpleasant character, saying and thinking those things. It's not me, um, but people—I mean, most people can understand how a book works, but some will look at it at face value because you, you don't want to constantly be saying 
this person thought this and they're a bad person and we shouldn't uh, agree with what they say because they're a bad... You, don't want, you know, you want to get inside their mind and, and let the reader make their own judgments. All right, happy Thursday, Charlie. Thanks Thank so you much. so much. OK, thanks, Vassas. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, everyone. See you tomorrow. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Your mum might have told you not to talk to strangers, but for our next guest, it's turned out rather well. She's a BAFTA-nominated comedian, musician, actor and improviser whose hilarious new book, Advice from Strangers, is out now. And she's also currently on tour everywhere. Please welcome Rachel Paris. Good morning, Rachel. Hello. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Congratulations on your amazing book. Thanks so much. So yesterday I was reading it and I was marking uh, things that we could talk about and then I just gave up because I ended up marking every page. <laughs> so I don't really know where to go. We can dip it anywhere you like. I mean, i got to say, I think you might be able to guess what my favourite three chapters are. Oh, I mean... From immediately before I came on air, uh, never pass up the opportunity for a wee. No, because uh, they're all in. the same one. Um, it's hashtag one, hashtag two, hashtag three. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's what that what's meant for you will not pass you by. They're, they're the ones that I really didn't think you would talk about. Oh, my goodness Because me. I thought daytime radio, you'd have to be like... Well, you obviously don't listen to the show. We talk, about, we talk about that all the time. Wow, yeah. yeah. Uh, Rachel Paris, Advice from Strangers. So uh, the premise of the book is what? How did it all happen, Rachel? It's that, spurred on by being asked to write an inspirational speech and yeah. me not having a clue what to say uh-huh. in that, I decided to use my comedy shows for a year uh, and ask the audiences, everyone all over the country, for real bits of their advice that they'd give me. And they wrote them down on little scraps of paper and I kept them. Uh, this was a few years ago. And so every chapter in the book is a real piece of advice from a total stranger. Yeah. And I just jump off from whatever that is. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. I love it so much. Thank Cause, you. Because we've all got these little uh, post-it notes in, in our lives, virtual or real or otherwise, yeah. haven't we? Uh, don't tell your friends about your Jane Austen sex fantasy is one. <laughs> and this sort of um, lends itself to your ostentation, doesn't it? Yeah. Which I love. Tell people about ostentation and ostentatious. So that's a show which I made with some friends about, what, 11 years ago now? And it's still running where we dress up in Jane Austen clothes. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like we're just playing out our fantasies, and we are. Uh, and we get the audience to suggest a made-up book title, and then we make a Jane Austen story out of it in a sort of play. And it's really fun and really silly, and it's still on. It's on at Leicester Square Theatre every month. Um, I want to. I want you to. I want. You, I would respectfully request that you re- give us a reading from your book. Would you read... Is there a bit that you have in mind? You know where I'm going with this. Are you going with the Shakespearean speech? No, I'm going with page 253. 253. 253. Here I am flicking. I don't know all the bits off my heart. This will get us to the end of the show if you fancy it. Oh, yeah, I'd be happy to. All right, so can you give us a little pretext? Yes, I will. So this is the third of the chapters which began with... uh, the miscarriage and then an anxious pregnancy and this is the third of those chapters can i say we have a lot of books on this theme uh, right. that come into the show and a lot yeah. of authors but this is the most beautifully uh, framed depiction of of having a baby i've ever read oh thank you so much that means a lot uh so i i diarized it because i wrote it 17th of september 2021 this morning i was up at 3 30 a.m 6 a.m and 8 a.m I've been vomited on twice, I have poo on my dressing gown, my tits hurt, my head hurts, I'm starving and a demonic siren is going off inches from my head. I am very lucky. 
My beautiful boy arrived at tea time on a cold day at the end of July, all purple and covered in white goop. Summer never came this year. There was no heat, no sunny days. We kept thinking summer would arrive late, but it's passed us by completely. But our summer, our sunshine, came in the form of this little parcel. My seasons would now revolve around him. From the moment he was handed to me, I couldn't quite believe he was mine. I can't believe I get to keep him. I know I'm biased, but he is the best baby of them all, and I'm sorry to the other mums who have other babies, but this fact is obvious. From the second he was born, he was constantly moving his arms and legs, just like he did in the womb. I recognised those big kicks, those furtive reaches, his tiny hands making gestures, patterns and signs in the air. Sometimes like a wizard casting a spell, sometimes like a conductor leading a symphony, sometimes like a 90s raver dancing in The Prodigy. He looks mad. I love his mad little hands. It is tiring, yes. I'm so exhausted some days I literally can't move my face. Nap whenever you can, this advice says. Nap whenever the baby naps, the books say. But it doesn't work. When they're awake, you're looking after them with both hands. And when they're asleep, you finally get time to eat. We, and possibly, as a luxury, wash. But washing's a rare treat. And I'm now resigned to constantly smelling of milk, warm sweat and dry shampoo. It's tiring, it's upsetting. When he cries for hours and it's just you and him and you want to help him and you can't help him except to keep holding him and telling him it's all right and that he's safe and that you love him, all while mainlining paracetamol to stave off that migraine he's giving you. It's tiring, it's upsetting, it's life-changing. I cried the most about how not knowing how I would ever leave the house alone again or how I'd ever work or travel or write or wear anything except sick-covered slacks and stained nursing bras that utterly failed to support my massive, unwieldy boobs that that didn't feel like mine anymore. It's all those things, and it is the best thing in the world. I found the clichés to be true. It's the most difficult, most brilliant thing. I wonder if he knows how much he is loved. I wonder if that seeps through somehow into their little heads. I wonder if he knows how wanted he is and how happy he makes people. People say he looks like his dad, or like me, or like his granddad, or his cousin, or his nephew half removed. But I say he looks like himself. He just looks like a totally new person to me, which seems like a bit of magic. We made him, I grew him, but here he is, and he's just himself, a brand new human. We were given piles and piles of second-hand baby clothes from friends and family, and one of the baby grows we were given has Little Miracle on the front. I never liked that kind of cheesy branding around baby stuff, and when I first saw it before he was born, I thought it was mawkish. But I get it now. I saw him in it this morning, and I thought, yeah... There's something in that. He is a little miracle, but not from God. He's our miracle. I am his and he is mine. My baby, my boy, my Billy. How good is that? You're awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Your book is awesome. Thank you. I'm so happy for you and Billy and Marcus. Thank you so much. The book is Advice from Strangers by Rachel Paris. Everything I know from people I don't know and quite a lot from what she does know from herself. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Uh, where are we off to right now live on your radio, Vassars? The new F1 season is already looking very tasty indeed with Ferrari out of trouble, Mercedes in a muddle and Red Bull in a pub. That's right, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix is live and exclusive on Sky Sports F1 this weekend. And here to tell us more is our Formula One and only, it's Crofty! Here's the one and only, alive from Saudi Arabia. How are you, Crofty? Morning, how are you? I'm good. Uh, But we do, we've got to go in there straight away. It's the pointy end of the uh, conversation. It'll only get easier after this, Crofty, don't worry. We no longer (laughs) think, we no longer think that Formula One is actual spontaneous sport we think it's scripted drama there's no way that ra- that race could have carried on um you know uh, like almost like you know, it's like the second season of succession for heaven's sake 
you know? I know. Um, it was a bit dramatic. You know who I blame? I blame Martin Brundle. Because when he left the commentary box to go and interview the top three, all hell broke loose. If it had just stayed where he was, we, we'd have had a bit of continuity. And um, yeah, Red Bull, uh, not good, not good. And um, they had fuel in the car. Uh, I'm told there was 12 kilos of fuel in Max's car and six in Checo's. Um, but I don't think the pump could get the fuel out. You know, you know when you have like a, a super thick milkshake or, or a. Uh, a freshly squeezed orange juice and you get a pip stuck, stuck in the straw. Yes. I think it was a bit like that. And yeah. then, yeah, that's about the best analogy I can give you. They need to reposition their fuel pump. That's not the work of a moment. They might be the favourites this weekend, but it doesn't mean they're going to finish first. I think they, uh, they've they got a few head-scratching moments. At, well, uh, that's Red the Bull. thing, isn't it? You know, if it's particularly hot and uh, your fuel gets hot and it gets a bit too thin, uh, there's not enough of it to fire up those cylinders. Uh, you know, I, that's about Ooh, as technical as I good. can get. But they just need to like it. maybe move it to somewhere that's a bit cooler. But you know Adrian very well, Adrian Newey. Yeah. Uh, he's not a man that likes to sacrifice performance over reliability. He likes to put everything in the performance uh, column, which is also why they're having trouble with their brakes overheating a bit and why you were, uh, Max was being told you know, to, to hang back and keep the car a bit cooler in Bahrain. And if you thought Bahrain was hot, Jeddah's going to be even hotter. Uh, there might be a stiff breeze blowing down the Corniche this morning, uh, but it is warm, it is humid, it's muggy, it's a street race, uh, and I don't fancy uh, the entire field of 20 finishing this race. It's going to be a proper race of attrition, this one. Yeah, it was great um, last Sunday, um, and it was lovely to see lots of drivers in contention for lots of the time. Uh, the brand-new um, aerodynamics work, as far as overtaking is concerned, that was really exciting. Uh, the front two did the, uh, the um, you know, who's in the lead, Hokey Koki, that was, that was good fun. That was all great. Yeah. Um, uh, as far as um, Max Verstappen is concerned, you know, I didn't know whether to say to this to you on the radio or not. Somebody just needs to have a little quiet word in his ear. He's not coming across fantastically on the radio. Yeah, calm down, Max. Uh, also, just, just be a bit nicer. A bit. Be a bit nicer yeah, to your teammates. I know he is a nice guy, though. I, 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 I have a lot of time for Max. He's always been really friendly. But all this, I'm never doing this ever, ever, ever again. It's like we've entered the terrible twos as he goes for his second world championship. You know, he just got a bit too stroppy there. I will have a word on your behalf. Though. Yeah, but also it's not good for his performance. Anybody will tell you that. You know, you, oh. can't, you can't be angry and at your peak at the same time. It's like you can't be funny when you're angry. You can't come up with a good idea when you're angry. When you are angry, if you let the... You, you know, you can have anger if you put a bit of distance between you and it, and it can be useful. But when you become the anger, you are useless. Absolutely, because the anger is all-consuming. And, you know, and all you're doing is looking to blame people and shout and stomp around a bit. I, I, I couldn't agree more um, <laughs> that's good that's why i'm not get. that's why i'm not getting angry this morning that i'm not allowed to go down to breakfast uh without uh, wearing a pair of trousers i can't wear my shorts at breakfast that's not making me angry at all outrageous 40 okay. odd degrees out there and apparently shorts are banned in the breakfast room what, what, the, what have i entered what the heck is that i don't like it when they have sartorial um etiquette i mean i think you know you've got to you've got to be smart whenever you can if it's if it's if it's if it's if that's required if it's respectful to do so but i don't think you should ever be told what to wear ever in life correct correct it's like being back at school again it and is. i didn't like wearing school uniform either that doesn't make me angry not yeah. at all the thought of you now at your age in a school uniform that'd be hilarious i think you should do that one day um, a mufti day for ukraine or something that'd be funny all right so give me, so wet our appetite a bit more i mean if, if you saw the first race you don't need your appetite wetting uh, going into the second race of the f1 season in sky sports f1 but if you didn't see it um give us a quick 30 second uh, taster and tease okay so great news Haas are back kevin magnuson is back and they've got a top five finish 
finish in uh, Bahrain, and that put a smile on everyone's face. Even better news, it's wide open out in front. Ferrari took the first race, 46 races without a win, and they bounced back with a 1-2 finish. Saw Carlos Sainz yesterday. He said, look, we're in a good place, but we think Red Bull are faster than us here. We've got our work cut out. Red Bull are fast, but they're fragile. Can they get to the end of the race? Can they finish? Mercedes are definitely not sandbagging. They are in a bit of trouble, but Lewis Hamilton got a podium, and he has a bigger margin over Max Verstappen at the moment than he did in the entire 2021 season. <laughs> so it's all to play for. Uh, Hamilton becomes, yes. by the way, um, the 180th start with Mercedes. That means he has made more starts with Mercedes than any single driver has ever made at any single team ever in the history of Formula One. Wouldn't it be great to see him back on the podium? I personally fancy that Red Bull will take it, but Ferrari are right there in the hunt. Good, that's excellent. I love that. Um, are you go- are you going to sort of um, reverse engineer a bit of your past starts commentary into this Sunday? You've got to have a 180 <laughs> going on there somewhere, haven't you, Fro? Now, that sounds like a magnificent idea. I hadn't even considered it, but I have now. You're very welcome, Crofty. Um, You know where (laughs) I am if you need me. Uh, Give my love to the team there. Um, I still fancy that idea of you lot in school uniform. A bit of a muffy day going on for Ukraine. That'd be fun. (laughs) Goodbye. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Our next guest's story is as terrifying as it is inspirational. His new book, Might Bite, The Secret Life of a Gambling Addict, is out now. And it's an extremely honest account of a lot of lying. And I'll bet you anything it'll make you think twice before placing that next wager. Please welcome Patrick Foster. Good morning, Pat. Hi, guys. How are you? Oh, well, it's a real honour to meet you, my friend. Thank you. That's um, kind. It's great to be on the show. Okay, this is some story. Might bite. First of all, let's just explain the title for people listening. Yeah, it's um, one of the things that came quickest to me when I wrote the book. In that, um, I guess there's two reasons. One, it was uh, the bet that kind of changed my world. Um, it wasn't actually quite my final bet, but four years ago tomorrow, um, that was the the time I placed my last bet, and I put a huge amount of money on a horse called Might Bite during the Cheltenham Festival. Um, that came second. Uh, I always say it's the best thing that ever happened to me, but at the time it wasn't because my world came crashing down. And when I was thinking about the title of the book, um, obviously it's a play on words as well. It seemed uh, the obvious thing. So, yeah, I'm quite pleased with that part. Now, you uh, you come from a privileged background, but you were by no means a high flyer when you were placing these bets. What were you doing in life at the time? Yeah, I started gambling at university like a lot of people. Um, as a bit of fun with my mates didn't think it was a problem because I had the time and money to do it because I was actually playing professional cricket at the time Um, and then unfortunately that ended Um, and I think that was a catalyst for for my gambling spiraling out of control because I found that really difficult to deal with but I didn't want to admit that to people I didn't want to let on that I was struggling because I'd never struggled with anything. I thought showing vulnerability was weakness and, and gambling started to play a different part of my life. And then when I moved into the city, was working in insurance, that, that was when it really did get out of control. I had a huge win in 2010, as I write about in the book, and that completely changed my relationship. Um, we're gambling and I guess you could call me a high flyer at that time, but when I lost all that money very quickly, um, and started descending into debt. I was anything but. Um, changed. You, were, you were teaching? Yeah, then I changed my life. I became a teacher, thinking that if I changed my lifestyle, it would get rid of the problem, but I now know I, I needed to change me. And when I taught 
it got worse. Um, and obviously I went on to do things that I regret hugely. Um, but it was out of desperation and my addiction really took hold of me, consumed me. And um, yeah, I'd eventually lose my job as a teacher, rightly so. Um, and you were borrowing money from other teachers' parents as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be honest, I borrowed money off anyone and everybody. Um, all rationality went out the window. It was just pure desperation. And I kind of took advantage of the situation that I was in. I was I was very aware that I was surrounded by money. Um, people liked, respected me, were worried about me. And I, I took advantage of that. And I'm not proud of it at all. Um, but it did enable and allow me to, to gamble for way longer than I ever thought was possible. Such a chilling account. I mean, you know, you can't put the book down, but you know, as I was saying to you off the air, I said to Vassar earlier on, you know, we've, we read some heavy books for this show, but I don't think any book has gripped me like yours um, and made me feel anxious because we're all so close to, to, to you know, um, to, to falling to a similar fate because it's about compulsion, isn't it? It's about, it's about reframing things to suit um, the world how you want it to be as opposed to how the world is and most useful to, to you and, you know, to being sort of functional in that world for the right reasons as opposed to funk you know this function functioning alcoholics this functioning um um, um uh, gambling addicts this functioning all kinds of addicts um and you wouldn't know and a lot of the people in your world didn't know uh, but listen to this everyone um, I'd received close to £110,000 in free bets uh, this year. The year was 2017. I placed 27,988 bets with a single bookmaker. That's close to 77 bets every day, and that's just with one bookie. And, you know, this is whilst having to sleep. It's whilst having to breathe. It's whilst having to go to the loo. It's whilst having to go to work. It's whilst having to hold down a relationship. But the thing about addiction is, you know, it, because you you don't realise because you're the addict how much energy you're putting into it because it's so automatic and if you could actually sort of um, if you could harvest that energy and put it in some, to real life you'd be unstoppable yeah absolutely one of the things I um, talk about now when I share my story with young people is that actually having an addictive personality however you want to term it if, if channelled in the right way you can be so successful um, and my addictive personality manifests itself in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways now and I, I actually see how powerful that can be but when you're in the height of, of your addiction with something that is having that negative impact it's, in, it's incredible um, and the way it just takes over everything uh, in the book it was it was almost quite hard to uh, articulate how it, it, I just wouldn't let anything get in the way of, of my next bet. And as you say, all those things that are so important, sleeping, looking after the people around you and that you love, they, they just become and play second fiddle to your addiction and it's scary and when you get that back it's it's incredible it's, it's so incredible. liberating it's like it's like heaven sent isn't it but also what's also i think unbelievable is how little people around you notice what might be wrong because we all think we think about other people a lot more than we do because actually even the most selfless of us are think about ourselves more than anybody else uh, we often worry about what people think more than what we think of ourselves but it's a it's self-delusional isn't it how much we we, we think other people think about us. Yeah, um, and, and that's one of the really scary things about it. It's often described as a hidden or invisible addiction, rightly so. Um, but I think it's the case with any addiction, really. You just become so good at hiding it, and that becomes addictive in itself. Um, it was like a full-time job for me, and it was exhausting. I say I used to go into school and 
if you ask most, well, I'd hope most of the kids that I taught, they would probably think I was probably the last person that had a problem because I went to such a degree to hide it or to make sure that I was covering it up. But then when I was behind closed doors, it was it would just break me. I was exhausting, but I just kept doing it over and over again. And, and this kind of spiral of of just nothingness where it was just so difficult to get out of was was exhausting yeah well done for writing this book um uh, patrick foster is the chap's name you're listening to the book's called might bite the secret life of a gambling addict and it is once you've picked it up you can't put it down i would recommend this to anyone and everyone the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky virgin radio Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.